Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good morning. So the church starts giving us some lengthier Gospels as we inch closer and closer to Holy Week. We've we got to get you into Holy Week shape. You've got to expand your, uh, your, your, your endurance for these longer Gospels that we'll have during the Triduum and during Holy Week. So, so as I said at the beginning of Mass, today we celebrate the beginning of uh, the scrutinies for our 36 folks who are coming into the church in just a few weeks of the Easter Vigil. And let me just reiterate 36. I mean, come on. Like, that is just, you don't seem excited. We're just used to it by now, I guess. I guess. Okay, good. All right. In a time and an age when people are leaving the church in droves, we got 36 people who are running into it, and it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. So to prepare those who are coming into the church for centuries, the church has celebrated what are called scrutinies by highlighting particular scripture passages, drawing the the elect, their attention to particular scriptures to contemplate. So she lifts up to you, my 36, and if you're one of the 36 at Mass this morning, just raise your hand so we can see where you are. They are all over the place. Okay, good. All right, good. All right. The church is lifting up before your attention these particular scriptures, and these, these are icons, these stories, if you will, These next three weeks, these are icons, these are particular stories that are critical for understanding what you are entering into. These are critical for understanding what you are entering into, who you are going to be handing your life over when you become a Catholic, right? To become a Catholic is to surrender one's life, the deed of one's life, saying, I no longer sit in the driver's seat of my life, I submit my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ And I find the whole meaning of my life in and through his love and in and through the church, right? So, yes, all of Scripture is inspired. All of Scripture is profitable. But the church spotlights for your attention and meditation these readings because of their penetrating beauty and what they have to say about the life of discipleship. So, before we get into the readings, before I walk through this gospel, the story of the woman and the the Samaritan woman and Jesus at this well, I want to say something about this word scrutiny. This is the first of the three scrutinies. By now you have to know, if you don't know, I don't know where you've been, but by now you have to know that I love knowing what words mean, right? I love understanding the origins of words, etymology, where words come from. And it occurred to me as I was preparing for this weekend that I never, I don't know where the word scrutiny comes from, the etymology of the word scrutinize. So I looked it up. I looked it up because I wanted to know. I wanted to know. And it blew my mind what I found, as it often does. It blew my mind. So here's, here's what I found, and it's just extraordinary. The word scrutinize, ready for this? The word scrutinize comes from the Latin scrutari, which means to search or to examine. And scrutari likely comes from scruta, meaning trash. Hence the etymology evokes the sense of one who searches through trash looking for anything of value. That's pretty powerful. But we have to have a corrective right at the beginning because I I cannot say this more forcefully. Like, none of us, none of you, you are not trash. You are not trash. But there are parts of ourselves, parts of our lives, parts of our stories that we ourselves regard as trash. 
And those parts, those memories, those places are are places of pain. They're places of shame. They're places that if we could, we would much rather just throw them away and be rid of them, right? So with that in mind, with this idea of scrutari, scruta, trash, someone looking for the treasure in the trash, let's get back into this gospel. Okay, this woman who's drawing water from a well at midday. You've got to love John in his gospel. He's always highlighting times of things. It was about noon or it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Like these are details that lovers remember, right? It was fourth period when I saw her in geometry class, right? It was about noon. That's what John, that's John's heart. He's, he's the beloved disciple and every detail matters to John because details matter to God. The devil's not in the details. The Lord is in the details. Okay, for the record, all right? He doesn't get... He doesn't get the details. God does. All right. So who is this woman, this Samaritan woman? She's unnamed, which means she's you. <laughs> That's the point. She's you. She's me. Whenever we encounter an unnamed person, put yourself in that place. That's who, that's who she is in the deeper allegorical reading of the text. She's us. And she's come to this well, one, because on a natural level she has a thirst, Right? She needed water to drink. She needed water to drink. But the right question, the right question is not why has she come to this well. The right question is why is she coming to the well at this time of day? That's the right question. That would have been the question that any first century person, especially any first century Jewish woman, would have been puzzled by. What is she doing going to the well at midday? That's the wrong time to go to the well. These women asking that question, they would have very quickly settled upon a reason why she's there. Well, she's going at midday. Obviously, there's only one reason why a woman would go draw water at midday. It's because she wants to avoid the company of other women. She wants to be alone. She wants to avoid the company of others. She wanted to hide. That she, like all of us, in many ways, had settled into, had resigned herself to the fact that this is just, this is just what my life will be. This is just what my life will be. This is what it's going to be. There's just, there's, because there's something fundamentally irredeemable, there's something fundamentally unlovable and broken in me, and the best that I can hope for is just coping, just putting on a mask, putting on the costume, getting up and making a pleasant show of it. All of us are doing this all the time. We are all, all of us, wearing masks all the time. At this point in the story, we don't know why she's, what she's carrying or why she's hiding until Jesus begins to press into her heart, until he engages her, until he reveals himself as this prospector, right? Think of those gold rush prospectors setting out west looking for the gold that's what he is he's a prospector digging into her heart looking for the gold looking scrutinizing her heart looking for the gold and he says to her give me a drink and she's utterly incredulous you must have just picture her face like you a jew asking me a samaritan woman for water and like, it's so understated in John's gospel, Samaritans have nothing to do with the Jews. It was so culturally forbidden that they would have nothing to do with each other. And here he is, blowing past all the cultural taboos, asking her for a drink of water. 
Not only did Samaritans and Jews have nothing to do with each other, but he, an unmarried man, talking to this woman, that never would have happened in the ancient world. And he responds to her incredulity by saying, if you only knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's as if Jesus' heart is saying, oh woman, if you only knew my heart for you, if you only knew the heart of God sitting in front of you, you would know that there is in me this supernova of love and mercy and tenderness and kindness that all I want to do is expel it upon you. All I want to do is lavish you with love and mercy and blessing. Like it takes us, I am convinced of this, it takes us a lifetime of coming to believe this. A lifetime of healing, a lifetime of, of growing in our trust for God. Because despite it all, we still carry in us this, this lurking suspicion that maybe he's not as trustworthy as we think he is. I don't know if I can totally trust his will and his intentions. And so the woman responds to Jesus. Sir, you don't even have a bucket. You don't even have a bucket and the cistern is deep. Where then can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Yes, is the answer. And it's at this point that Jesus begins to show her that he's speaking allegorically. He's speaking on a deeper level. Like he's not talking about H2O here. He's not talking about liquid drinking water. He's talking about this, this image of un, this unending river of life. We hear it in the prophets. We hear it in the book of Revelation. I saw water trickling from the side of the temple. And it was irrigating the city and fruit trees were growing up on every side. And every month they were bearing fruit. Right? Jesus is talking about this river of life that reaches from the Trinity through his body pierced on the cross flowing out of his side into creation. The living water is the beating love of the heart of God flowing into creation. And he's saying, that's what I want to give you. And if you begin to drink of that, it's going to slake a deeper thirst. It's the thirst for love, the thirst for affirmation, the thirst for life. He says, and if you begin tasting this, you'll experience satisfaction. I'm not going to kill your thirst. I'm going to satisfy it. And she's puzzled, but she's intrigued. And she says, sir, give me this water. And now comes the scrutiny. He says, if I'm going to give you this water, if you are going to receive it, you have to let me dig into your heart. You have to let me dig into your heart. You have to let me enter your hurt. You have to let me enter your shame. You have to let me enter into the real thirsts that are motivating your life. And so he says to her, almost abruptly, go call your husband. Go call your husband and come back. Her face must have blanched, all the blood draining from her face. And she's thinking, what is this guy getting at? What do you mean, go call my husband? What is he talking about? And I'm sure she's trying to remain calm, holding her composure. And she just simply says to him, I do not have a husband. And he says to her, you are right in saying, I do not have a husband, for you have had five. In other words, you have been with five men who are not your husband. You've been with five men who are not your husband. Do you see what he's doing with her? 
Do you see what he's trying to do with you right now at this Mass? Lock in. I know this is a long gospel. I know it's warm in here, but lock in. (laughs) Do you see what he's trying to do? He's saying, I see your heart. You think you can hide. You think you've got a lead roof over your soul that I can't peer into. And he's saying, I see you. I know you. I see you and I know you. And I've seen all the ways that you have tried to satisfy your thirst for love, your your thirst for connection, your thirst for affirmation by running into the arms and into the beds of so many of these men. I've seen you and I know your futile search. I've watched it. He's He's saying to the woman, I know why you're sitting here at this well at this time of day. And he's saying to you, I know what's on your search history. I know what you've been looking for. I know what you've been looking at. I know what you've been turning to. I know your heart, he's what he's saying. I know why you lie. I know why you deceive. I know why you cheat. I know why you've run into the arms of someone who's not your spouse. I know you. I know why you drink alone when no one else is around you. I know why you obsess about your image. I know why you push and punish your body. I know why you are sitting at your well. He knows your well. He knows my well. He knows it. And he's saying, my dear one, the thirst that brought you to that well, the thirst that has brought you here... Like the desire itself, the thirst itself is not the problem. It's a holy desire. It's just gotten twisted up. Like all along you've been looking for me is what he's saying. He says to this woman, I am he whom you are speaking to. That's what he says. Friends, none of you are trash. No part of your heart or your story is trash. No part of your heart or story will be thrown away by the Father, between now and eternity, He wants to heal all of it. And He's waiting for you at every single one of your wells. He's waiting there for you at your wells. And He can redeem it. He can untwist it if we let Him. Jesus Christ adores your heart, especially the parts that you most wish to throw away, friends. He wants to sift through the trash to to show you that you are actually a treasure. He's saying, do you know what you were really looking for? Do you know? Do you know that everything your heart seeks is my heart, my love, my attention, my affection? And do you know that I don't ration it out? I'm not stingy. You don't have to worry about it. There's a, a river of living water coming at you that will not stop. So friends, to our 36 who are coming into the church this Easter, And to the rest of us who are already fully embraced in the arms of Mother Church, we have to have the courage to look at him who is looking at us as we sit by our wells. If you think he wants you because you think that he doesn't know about your well, you are so dead wrong. He wants to show you what you've been really looking for. And if we do this, if we let him in, When we do, we will say what she said, the woman said, to everyone she encountered. I have met someone who knew everything about me. I met someone who knew everything about me and loved me. 
Let me tell you about him. And that's how we change the world. Amen.